0: All right, so Hebrews 12, verse 3, we looked at last week and look at it again in the message. <clears throat> Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means you better get on with it, strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Last week we talked about laying aside uh, the weight, or every weight, anything that got in the way, anything that made the going harder, uh, anything that obstructed the purpose. And we talked uh, about the freedom that comes that God intends for us, his provision for us. I don't know how many of you would remember some of the weights we listed. We talked about um, inordinate affection, intimidation, defeat, discouragement, hurt, criticism, rejection, disappointment. All these things that God has made provision for us to be... Because if he tells you to lay aside, then in essence, he gives you the ability to lay aside. And so we, we worked through that and responded to that and... Um, got to grips with that last week. I don't mean to say we can't get to grips with it this week, but I'm just recapping a little bit so that we understand where we are. One of the important things was what Richard brought to us last week when he talked about um, the God who does it for us, who cuts us off from these things. Uh, so that it's not about uh, how good we are or how, uh, how determining an effort we can make. Uh, God does that. And it cuts us off as we choose to turn from prejudice and corruption and lies and lack of integrity. All these things, he cuts us off uh, in the name of Jesus and encourages us to run the race. The race uses that, that kind of um, imagery of a race, of somebody running a race. A race is marked out. It has a particular direction. It has a particular Finishing point. And we got as far as beginning, I think, to reach to the next part, the instruction to uh, fix your eyes upon Jesus, to look upon Jesus. The Bible talks about him being... It's very interesting. talks about him being the... uh, Different words in different places, but the author and finisher. Basically, uh, he is the one who creates... The faith and enables us to continue in it. So not only do we look to him, not only do we believe in him, uh, but he creates that in the first place, gives us that ability in the first place, and enables us to continue with that. He is the uh, object of our faith, but he's also the facilitator. So it's not as though somehow we can we can uh, gather all our Ability to believe together and somehow attain a place of, uh, of believing. Uh, it's, a, it's a work of God. If God does it. It's supernatural. And uh, we, we'll look at that a little bit more. So, it's important to recognise <clears throat> who he's speaking to here. See, in this letter to the Hebrews... He's speaking to what is often referred to as second-generation believers. They weren't necessarily the pioneers. And if any of you have studied this, you know that uh, historically, uh, those who pioneer will have a degree of momentum, uh, uh, inspiration, enthusiasm. The second generation who haven't had to pay the same price will experience certain difficulty in that. And he's saying this, he said, if you read on through, he said, so you don't fall out, so you don't grow weary, so you don't lose that particular place. And I think it's important because we recognise that there is a second generation... Uh, And the tragedy is, of course, if you get to the third generation, that's got to start all over again. And that actually does represent a picture of church history often. But we don't believe that we have to be trapped into that. Uh, It's not prescribed by God. That's, That's basically a pattern that is avoidable. And one of the ways it's avoidable is by looking unto Jesus. So it becomes interesting to see so how does that happen? How do you actually do that? But remember, it is spoken for particularly that, that second generation. And this is given as an antidote to, to losing out and growing weary. It talks about patience and perseverance. Um, now, I haven't done a lot of, of racing, uh, more in the car than on foot. Um, but I kind of look at it and I hear stories about it. Um, I find that there are people who feel the need to do this kind of thing. And I discover from them that there is a degree of patience and perseverance. They use terms like getting their second wind. And to me, they're kind of strange terms. But other people. Engage in. (laughs) But for sure, there's a place of perseverance and patience. It's not just a kind of cruising along. There's a, a, I get this point, there's an intentional decision. And I want us to hold that. Because if there's an instruction to do something, you can reckon that there is an intentional decision to move in that direction, even if there is also quite clearly a need for his empowering to enable us to do that. But we make the decision in the first place. Decision sometimes that involves some perseverance and some patience. So looking to Jesus, that's a good place. We heard about that last week again. How he looks upon us, and we see what his face is towards us. Looking to the one who the Bible says enters into the very feelings that we have. He understands and is concerned and is touched with how we feel. That's a a lot better than looking to someone who really couldn't care less how we are, what's happening, how we're feeling. This is looking to one who loves you, who is engaged and wants to be engaged in exactly where you're at and how you feel. A very, very significant... If you can look to anybody, I can't think of a better place to look than someone who has not only the care and the concern but the ability to do something about it. So we turn to him. We make a decision we make a choice. That's an intentional choice. He empowers us to do it. We choose to look to Jesus. He enables us to do it. Then when we make declarations or requests, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, the outworking of that is to enable us to see him. See, it's not with these eyes. But we do look to him, but it's a spiritual thing. I know some people find it useful to to have a picture. I, I don't it doesn't work like that for me. There's nothing right, nothing wrong. But to actually engage in something which requires God to do it purely upon the basis of me making a choice. So how do we do it? We fix our eyes upon him. What does that mean? Well, if I I fix my gaze, if I come to Mark and I look at him like that, It's very definite. It's not that I walk past and, you know, look at Alan and Vivian. It has the feel of something determined. I'm looking at you all at the moment, but I'm not fixing my gaze. Can you understand there's something which is intentional, but it's it is not achieved in a natural sense. But it is achievable because God says that we can look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah, I kind of look at it, uh, I don't know how I could describe it, but you know if you're trying to fit two parts together and and you're uh, moving the thing around and then eventually it gets, what is it called, the lugging gauge or... No, I, if, if this language is too technical, excuse me, but is it a lugging gauge? Is it, yeah? Or what was the other one? Keyway. Keyway. Dow? Do you say? Oh, all right, okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean. When you just, it kind of, you're moving it to try and fit it in, and then it just clicks into place. And I kind of feel it's like that. You, you, you're looking, but then. There's a, there's a clicking into place, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's... Uh, they, t- they say, I don't know, I have, I've not done this and I don't plan to, but uh, they say that a tightrope walker has to fix their gaze not on the rope but on something ahead. I don't know. Anybody ever done it? No. All right. I tell you what I do know is that um, before they had sort of modern equipment, you know, like a GPS in a tractor, if a farmer was, was ploughing a furrow and he wanted it straight, he didn't look at the furrow, he looked a point maybe in the hedge at the other side of the field so that he could he'd move in that, in that direction. He probably got the point examining the mechanics and looking at the difficulties and uh, working through the what-ifs really didn't help uh, there had to be the decision to go for it faced looking towards where, where he was going. And I suppose it's the same as what we said about the farmer or the, the tightrope walker. There's a, an intentional turning from problems, turning from self, turning from circumstances. The Bible says, again, an instruction, bring every thought into captivity, and if it tells us to do it, we can do it, and to look to Jesus, casting aside every sin and every weight, and look to him. So this looking to him is is very, very intriguing. First of all, if he says it is possible, secondly, we have to make a decision, so it's an intentional decision to turn from other things and other thoughts and say, I will seek him. It's possible because we're instructed to do it. We have to turn from all distraction. Um, the Bible says some, some sort of extreme things in terms of getting us to understand. It even says, look, if your hand gets in the way, cut it off. Uh, if your eye gets in the way, plug it out. I mean, don't let anything get in the way. So that adds up again to a, a determined and intentional decision. I will go this way. I have decided I will look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, trusting that God will empower me to do it. Turning from all distraction, being resolute, persevering. And then, of course, as we read on further, it talks about Jesus and how he was, and particularly that he got focused himself on the good thing that was set before him and tells us to do the same, that we might know his presence, that we might know what it is to be uh, engaged in his plan, that we might understand all the good things that he's got for us. So yes, there's a turning from, there's a turning aside from, there's a decision, and yes, uh, it's not a promise of something that's easy, but beyond that, actually coming to know him and discover what he has got and his plan for your life and all the joy and peace and fulfilment that he can give is part of what is wrapped up in this package of yielding to him and to his rule and letting him have his way An anticipation of the good that's set before. But then, of course, we come to the absolute key. Just follow me through. We can make a decision, but we can't actually do it. We can set out as though we believe our own decision, but we can't actually do it because we're talking about achieving something which is not natural. How do you see Jesus? How do you look to Jesus? Well, we've got to have God's help. You know, God's a supernatural God. If we want to get something supernatural... We have to get it from him. And so the key point is, Lord, will you help? I want to see Jesus. Will you bring me to that place where I come into a realization of who he is and what he's done? Which takes us way beyond some image or some picture uh, or anything like that. There is a place for those and some people find it useful. But I'm not talking about can we conjure up... A picture uh, of a of a man. I'm talking about coming into the realization of actually knowing seeing him as he is. What are some of the obstacles? Quickly? Well, he didn't really decide to ride the bike by giving full consideration to the consequences. In fact, while he considered the consequences, <coughs> excuse me, he didn't get on and ride the bike. He basically had to say, you know what, there's something that outweighs the consequences. And yes, there may be. So in spite of the obstacle, in spite of the fear, I may fall off, my jeans might get caught in the pedals or whatever. Or... I don't know how this thing works. In spite of that, the commitment to say, yes, I will do what God's Word says, I will look to Jesus. And of course, primarily, it means turning from the what if. What if I can't do it? What if it doesn't work? What if my friends don't like it? What if I have to change? I mean, there is a point in which... A decision is made to turn aside from the what if in favour of being obedient. Hearing and following his word. We can't engage in the what if. The instruction for Peter on the bike was just get on and go to Jamie. You know, whatever the instruction is, Sometimes the instruction may be to to just wait in peace for something, trying to work things through and work things out, and the time is getting short. Whatever God says, he empowers us to do. Let's just think of two or three examples, because often it's helpful to look at real life stories. Remember the story, after the death of Jesus, his disciples, those that were closest with him that had the highest expectations, uh, the greatest aspirations for what was going to happen in the future, from a place of of great despair and great discouragement, uh, were walking on a journey to a place called Emmaus. And some of you know that the story was that as they walked along, Jesus had now risen from the dead, but they're not really knowing and accepting that. And he actually draws alongside and walks alongside them. Problem was, they were so taken up by their own difficulties and their own disappointment and their own situation, that, and they, they, they just couldn't be aware or turn or respond to anything else. But they did something that I think we've got to learn from these things. Instead of pretending, oh, yes, well, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, everything's all right, you know, life's going on, uh, you know, a few challenges. They actually confessed to this stranger how they really were. You know, God loves that. God loves the people, no matter what mess they're in, who are prepared to be honest and real. It causes us to be candidates for his grace, his good stuff. He doesn't want us to pretend you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I've always tried to do good, I've, I've tried to help people. It's completely beside the point. The fact of the matter is, we know we need something beyond where we are and what we've got. And if it's possible, we did a survey once uh, in the area, and uh, it's very interesting. It's quite a few years ago. Uh, quite an interesting result. If it was, po- this was a question, if it was possible to know God personally, and we just went round houses and people in the street, how hey, you do these surveys. If it's possible to know God personally, personally, would you be interested? There was an overwhelming percentage. It's just people on the street or knocking on doors who weren't particularly interested in, in church and services and things like that. But the thought of actually knowing God personally I can't remember the figure now. It was something like uh, 90% or something like that. I, anybody remember the figure? No, you don't. All right. But it, was, it was staggeringly high to actually know him personally. And so they're on the road. They confessed the issue. They're wrapped up in it. But then God did something. God did something. He actually intervened, and they saw Jesus. It was a divine intervention. Their eyes were opened. Something was transformed within them, and they could actually see. (coughs) Think of another occasion. Uh, Peter and the disciples are fishing in the boat, and uh, again, uh, Jesus appears walking on the water. And Peter, uh, Peter, you know, it's is just Peter. He's just instantaneous. And he wants to go to Jesus. And he actually walks on water. And while he was looking to Jesus, he walked on water. And when he turned aside to look at other things like the storm and the waves, of course, he started to sink. And, uh, you know, I always think about that. Um, You know, we think, well, you know, he he kind of muffed up. But as far as I know, he's still the only person in history that's walked on water and actually did it, you know, looking to Jesus, supernatural intervention. Here's another occasion of Jesus and Peter. And Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? He's talking to his disciples. And they say, was well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, different sort of views. And he said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, uh, well, you're the son of God. And Jesus responded to something very, very interesting. He said, you know what? You couldn't have got that naturally. You got that. You came into a new place of sightedness. You saw something which you couldn't have seen naturally. You saw something that the Spirit of God had revealed to you. See, it's the Spirit of God that helps us to see Jesus. We may make a decision, we may make a choice, but it requires that supernatural intervention that actually takes us into a place where we can look to Jesus and we can receive all that he's got for us. And he promises that for us. Let's come back again. Just to to worship the one who has made provision for us to be able to see him. For us to be able to turn from a place of intention to a place of actuality. To actually look upon him. As we do that, we learn from the psalmist that says this. They looked on him and their faces were lightened. Their whole countenance changed because something was transformed as they looked and found him. I always remember Alan Fitch used to used to talk about years ago, he used to talk about you can either have A big God and a little problem or a big problem and a little God. And you know, when we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it puts it in the right perspective. We have a big God and somehow the things of this world, the things of earth fade away. It puts it in the context. Now, If I ask the question, listen carefully, if I ask the question, how has fixing your eyes on Jesus made a difference? I don't doubt I could go right round the room and find many people who could describe what I've just said. That somehow the issues, they were still there, but they were no longer taking control. It's the place that God wants us to be, looking to Jesus. Just think for a moment. If I came to you, I'm not going to do it now because we we don't really have the time for that, but if I did that, what would you say? You turned your eyes upon Jesus, you looked to him, God enabled you to somehow see him as he really is, and the things that you were dealing with, the issues... They weren't sort of wiped out, but they found their place. You came to a place of peace, a place of hope, a place of confidence. That's what happens, and that is how God has provided for us to live, that we look to him, and it's not that we're insulated from the realities of life, but it is that we're seated together with him in heavenly places we can maintain a place of peace and confidence and faith and hope. Maintain the course that he set before us. Here's another good story. Zacchaeus, he was a a small man, but an important man, and he wanted to physically see Jesus. And Because of the crowd, uh, he came upon this idea to climb a tree so that he could actually physically see him. Jesus came along and he could see him and and then it moved from a physical visibility into a different dimension because Jesus comes along and he sees him and he invites him or invites himself into his place and Zacchaeus responds, see what we've got to understand at that point he's moved from a physical thing which he had the opportunity to do it was when Jesus walked in the earth, into a life-changing encounter. It transformed the totality of his life. Instead of trying to work out how he could fleece somebody else and steal some more money and increase what he already had by dubious means, he was completely transformed because he looked to Jesus. He saw something. He moved into a dimension which requires the supernatural. And it transformed his life so much so that he started to give back. <clears> the <throat> Bible talks about sometimes first the natural and then the spiritual. You know, there are things which we see a kind of means of grace. We come to meetings, we read God's Word, We pray. But, you know, they're just means of grace. They're not an end in themselves. It's that we should come to that place of being able to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There were some some men that came (coughs) to see Jesus. It's very interesting, because I said to one (coughs) one of the disciples, We want to see Jesus. And it's very interesting. They had in mind that they wanted to see him in person. His answer spells out what it is to come into that spiritual connection with him. Read it in John chapter 12 and verse 21. going beyond the natural into what God intends. We come back and we spend a bit more time in worship. I already just asked you one question which may not be applicable for some. Let me me put another question to you. Something to kind of muse on. How could fixing your eyes on Jesus make a difference? Think of what you're facing. Think of aspirations. Think of disappointments. Think of problems. Think of pleasures. How could fixing your eyes on Jesus make a difference? You know, I believe that as we make that intentional decision, God in his mercy would actually do the supernatural part, the thing that we can't do. The thing that he did for those men in John chapter 12, he said, they, I'll just read this to you. And they came and said to Philip, we want to see Jesus. Jesus. And so they went and told Jesus, some people here to see you. And they're thinking something in the natural. This is what replied. It gets a, it's a little bit sort of involved. The hour, this is Jesus' reply. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. I mean, you've got to have a, you've got to have a sympathy for this. These guys have come and said, look, mate, all we wanted to do was see Jesus. I don't know what all this is about. All this stuff about a seed falling into the ground and, and my Father will honour the one who serves me. <clears throat> He said, we can't get this, we can't understand this, or we said, we want to see the guy. All this answer, just we can't kind of understand. And it was never intended that they understood it naturally. The plan was that they experience it personally and spiritually. And that's what God offers do you want to see Jesus? What difference? How could fiction eyes upon him make a difference? Let me rest that question with you at the moment. This is the King of Kings. This is the Holy One. Yeah. This is God's only Son. And this changes everything. I think we'd miss it, you know, if we didn't Just pause at the completion of our time to pray. And I particularly want to pray for those who say, I want to see Jesus. I want to look to Jesus. And I want God's help to do that. And if you're in that category, I want to pray for you right now. Just indicate to me and I pray right now. If you're in that category, yes, lots of people. All right, let's pray. Lord, we receive your word. We declare you are the Holy One. We declare that a way has been made to come to you. We want to look to Jesus and we recognise that this requires a supernatural intervention, a miracle, like switching on of something in our spirit. And we ask now, Lord, as we choose to turn aside and as we make an intentional decision to turn from self and circumstances and situations that you would empower us to see you and to find you and to know you in a more significant way than ever before because it's our desire and our choice to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Therefore, Lord, we ask you now to confirm your word with signs following that you would empower and enable a turnabout change that we would come into a deeper place of looking upon you, so that the things around us that press in upon us would just grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Amen.